0: You listening to the jazz session with my dad Jason Crane Lesson 1. Basic HIP. Welcome to the Jazz Session. I'm Jason Crane. The jazz session is sponsored by Matt Rock, Murat Verdi, and Nicholas Payton. This is episode 361. Thanks to the Respect Sextet for the theme music to this show, they're online at respectsextet.com. Thanks also to Dave Vrabel, who designed the show's logo. You'll find him at twitter.com/slash Dave Vrabel, V-R-A-B-E-L. There's a widget for this show that displays the latest episode on your website or blog. And really, of course, a blog is just a website. You can get it by going to allaboutjazz.com and in the search box, typing in jazz session widget. And if you put it on your site, let me know because I'll mention you in my newsletter. The newsletter goes out each week to many, many subscribers, and you can be one of the many by finding it at thejazzsession.com, and along the top you'll see mailing list. Just click on that little link, type in your name and email address. Simple as that. You'll receive the newsletter once a week. It'll give you links to who's on the show that week, and usually, you know, some other stuff. Sometimes a poem, sometimes some concert information, sometimes uh, CD giveaways, all kinds of cool stuff. Hey, if you're on uh, iTunes, please review the show there. It just takes a second to rate the show, you know, five stars if you honestly feel that's where it's at. And also just to type in a few words about the show. If you do that, it really helps the show go up in the iTunes rankings, and that's a great help to me. So please take a second, uh, open up your iTunes, which you might have open right now while you're listening. Uh, Just go to the jazz, uh, or the uh, iTunes store. It's complex stuff. Go to the iTunes store, type in Jazz Session Podcast, and uh you know, if you just say a few nice words, that would be lovely. I feel like I really am speaking English for the very first time right now. I am uh well this is a great time to segue into this. I'm also a poet. <laughs> Can't you tell? Yeah, you can. Uh you'll find my poetry at jasoncrane.org and my book is also there, Unexpected Sunlight, which came out in two thousand ten. You can buy that and I'll send one to you signed. And I think that's all the housekeeping I have to tell you about. And so I will just announce to you that I am very excited to once again have Myra Melford on the show. She and Trio M, her band with Matt Wilson and Mark Dresser have a new record out called Guest House. And I saw her not too long ago here in New York City at the Jazz Gallery performing a, a really fascinating multimedia work that is even going to be more multi the next time it's performed and i was very excited to talk to her about that so we'll hear some music from trio m and then my conversation with myra melford My guest uh, for the second time is Myra Melford. It's a pleasure to have you here. Thanks.
1: It's a pleasure to be back. Thank it's, you.
0: It's great uh, having you in person too. I think last time you were on the phone and, and I won't reveal where we are, but we're in this totally amazing space that I've just, I've just worked out a deal to move into right after this interview. So <laughs> I'm very excited about that. Uh, so I saw you last night. I want to talk about a bunch of things, but I want to start um, with the snowy egret project, okay. which I saw last night at the jazz gallery and I was amazed by. And you just said to me right before we started recording that the, the second set was a kind of a more relaxed version of what I had seen. And I replied that I actually liked the fact that the first set was so fraught with with tension in the best way uh-huh. between the, the dancing and the music and the fact that Oguri the dancer was right – right out in the audience. I was in the second row, and he yeah. was right there. And sometimes, I mean, he was swinging his arm, you know, over my head. Yeah. And you just couldn't tell at any moment what was going to happen, and it was really exciting. So maybe yeah. you can talk a little bit about this project and how it came to be.
1: Okay. Well, let's see. It started as just a music project uh, about four years ago, fall of October 2008. I was invited to play at, on the Interpretation Series here in New York. Um, and I had been convalescing over the summer with um from foot surgery mm. and reading this uh, memory of fire trilogy, in particular at that time, the first book, Genesis, by Eduardo Galeano, the Uruguayan writer. And I really loved how so this Memory of Fire trilogy is a history of the Americas. Um and he doesn't he's the kind of writer that's really an editor, a compiler of texts. And um what he does is in this first book he takes a lot of uh, myths of indigenous people from all over the Americas and combines it with then first-hand accounts like diaries and journal entries and early newspaper accounts of the, the first Spanish and, you know, European, um, well, we could call them explorers or, or, um, invaders. Colonizers, Colonizers, yes. colonizers <laughs> certainly. That's, that's the right term. Um, So it's all very personal and they're often, some of them are very short, just a few sentences. Some are a couple pages. But so rather than being like a real linear narrative, it's more like by reading all of these stories and impressions, you accumulate by the end of the book, this really uh, rich picture of, of the history of the, of the Americas without it being a history book and without it being You know, a novel per se, but, um, so it really adds up to something very beautiful. And, um, I, I like, I think his approach is kind of this idea of having everybody speak for themselves, that that's really how we need to understand history is to listen to all the voices Hmm. and the stories. So, um, but what I got interested in was like, could I use this same kind of architecture for a piece of music? Uh, have a lot of... So I wrote, at that time, I I sort of based 12... I picked 12 sections of the text that I really liked, and I wrote music. Um, sometimes it was a text score. Sometimes it was using some graphics. Sometimes it was a very minimally mo- notated motif. Sometimes it was a little bit more specific. Some of them are more like songs. Um, but the idea was that rather than playing them as... You know, complete pieces, I would weave them together over the course of an hour long performance with, uh, you know, with improvisation in between, solos and duos and trios and that kind of thing. And I was very happy with the idea, but never, wasn't quite working and I tried it with several different groups, always great musicians, but still wasn't quite finding the right combination of people. And then I started talking with some, well, I talked with Stomu about it, who's a long time member of my ensembles Stomu and Takaishi. collaborator. And he and I have worked with Oguri a lot. And I started getting the idea of, we started talking about other musicians and this band just sort of formed in our minds and then um realized that it would be, I got asked by a, a presenter in San Francisco to think about a multimedia project. And I said, I think this piece would work great for that. I'd like to add Oguri, who I've worked with in several other contexts. And uh, eventually I'm going to add film, as I may have mentioned in the first mm-hmm. set. I can't remember if I did. Um So that it will, and I want the film to be very impressionistic, abstract, kind of a painterly, I'm imagining kind of a painterly Moving of light and imagery that's not so literal. I don't want it to be documentary or this is the Mexican Revolution or, you know, but just kind of to weave that with the music and the dance to tell my own version of this story, I guess, my own meditation on, you know, the Americas.
0: Now, it's so interesting because, I guess, completely based on both the title "Snowy Egret" and the visuals. I, I lived in in Japan for quite a while, mm. and so the visuals of both there being Oguri dancing yeah. and you know Stomu in the band and the "Snowy Egret" title, uh, I was placing this in a totally other kind of cultural context in That's my head. And so I'm very interested to hear that it comes from this Galliano-derived
1: yep, yep. text. But you know, I think the thing is now the history of the Americas is, are all the stories of all the people. Mm. Now it's really a, a polylogue, you know, if you will. That, and, and so, and just the, I just love that the band is diversified too, you know, that we have a lot of different histories represented by the members of the ensemble. And um, so I can see how you would, could place it in Japan, but I think it's the American version of, or you know what, version of that somehow
0: sure yeah Yeah, no that makes sense or
1: contemporary version of that
0: can you talk about who's in the band we should mention that
1: yeah Um, let's see so it's Stomo Takeshi on uh, acoustic bass guitar and uh, Liberty Elman on acoustic guitar uh, Ron Miles on trumpet and Taishan Sori on drums and percussion and then uh, the addition of Ogori doing movement
0: now how much of the of the movement was in any way directed by you
1: very little I gave Oguri is such an intuitive mover and this was our first time working him you know having him on this project that I really just wanted to give him a chance to hear the music he's so his instincts are so great it's almost better not to rein him in in any way um and i gave him some of the texts and he came to the rehearsal so he heard us working on the music and he heard me talk about what the music was about and um that was really it my thinking as i move forward is that if i'm adding the visual element of the film that and we're staging it in a larger area i might start to say let's let's What's the point of focus in any given time? And Mm. maybe not have him dance all the time. Um, Maybe have times where there's no music but just the film and Oguri. Start to think about now with these three elements, what are the possible combinations, you know,
0: It's interesting that you say that because my experience as an audience member, I've been to a lot of dance performances and I've been obviously to a crazy number of jazz performances and only a few that combine those two. Yeah. And I found that I was sometimes wondering, like I would be really focused on a member of the band who was playing at a moment and almost would forget, oh, and there's a dancer and should I be looking over here? It's it's interesting. And I don't think in a bad way. I think it's interesting in that you can focus your attention in multiple directions and get a different experience.
1: Exactly. And I think Oguri is really a member of the band in that sense Mm. which is why it's so fabulous to work with him you know i i can just say this is what we're doing and you create you improvise your part of this and um i think uh that's what i'm hoping is that people feel free to look at any focus on any of the performers or just listen close their eyes and just listen or but be able to see these visual references and you know, kind of control it themselves, what they focus on.
0: Can you say a little more? You talked about this already, but can you expand a little more on what the performers had in front of them in terms of of music to play from?
1: They had a lot of music. Um, they had, so there there are now more than 12 sections. Uh, some of them look like regular standard Western notation, kind of sometimes lead sheet or part of a score where they see what their parts are either alone or they see what their parts are in relation to the other musicians. Um, there's a lot of motivic, composed motivic material, uh, very specific kinds of rhythms and harmonies and melodies that they're dealing with, um, for some of the sections and others are really just a piece of paper with some verbal instructions, you know, create, choose three or four very tiny sounds that you can repeat for a while and we'll make a very, Oh, you didn't hear the section. We did it in the second half. Um It's the one place where I use text in the piece, mm. and uh, it's a section called A Musical Evening at the Conception Convent. And I used uh, – for that, I took several – uh I think six different excerpts of text, and I had a grad student, a Venezuelan grad student at Cal where I teach – uh, whisper them into a sampler for me. I have them on different patches. And then I had the band each take very, very tiny sounds, like almost on the edge of audibility and ask them to start with those. And then we would make a gradual crescendo to maybe a mezzo piano. Um, by the time I bring, start to bring in the whispers. And then there's a kind, I start a drone with an ebo on the piano and, um, it there's a little bit of a melody that wafts in and out, um, that gets shared around the different members of the and and um, I don't I think I just got off on a tangent, but it, it was a very successful piece, and it was maybe one line of melodic material with the rest of it just being a verbal description and several texts that sure. get whispered.
0: So I wondered. For example, there were there was a fairly long section where Stomu was playing bass and Oguri was dancing, and there was yeah. another fairly long section where Taishan was pl- yeah. playing by himself on the drums. In those moments, were they were they merely improv? I mean, not merely, but were they solely improvising to get between sections, or were they having following some sort of no, text? No, they were
1: creating a bridge from one section to the next. Okay, so they knew what we had just played, and they knew where we were going, and they that was. We, and we did several of those in the second half. Uh, each of the rest of us did one. I did a piano one, and um, and uh, Liberty did one on guitar, and Ron did one on trumpet. And it's really just a chance to play solo, just to hear one voice. But rather than having composed material, their job is to compose in the moment a bridge between hmm. one section and another.
0: It's so interesting because, I mean, we assume in jazz that each time something happens, it's going to happen differently. But this is almost like the, the structure or the architecture itself can happen differently. Yeah. The foundation of the piece can happen.
1: Yeah. And I love that. And I, you know, it's, it's always a balance when you're composing for improvisers. How much free reign do you give? How much input does the individual performer have? And when do they need some structure or focus or architecture from the composer? And also as a composer, what when do I need them to adhere to very specific things to to help me realize my vision? And when is really my vision going to be better served by them really doing their own thing? So it's a constant balance all the time. And I think for that kind of thing, the players are key. Mm. You know, and I love, I'm very fortunate to get to play with a lot of players who are able to Really bring a very rich personal lexicon or vocabulary and set of experiences to a performance and still find a way to honor, you know, what the, what my vision is. And I thought these guys did an amazing job of that last
0: night. And you said that you had, you'd played this before in what you thought were kind of less successful iterations, but with, still with great musicians. Right. When, when those things happened, did you go back to the, the actual material at all to, to see if there was something you needed to change?
1: Absolutely. And that's what I did for this performance. Okay. I, I thought a lot about the material and f- where did it need to get fleshed out? What other kinds of ways could we turn it into a platform for improvisation? that really dealt very specifically with the composed material, hmm. as opposed to just using it as a landing point and a point of departure, but really getting inside the material. Um, so I did a lot of revision. Not, you know, some of the pieces are still what they were in the beginning, but a lot of them were revised, and I really thought a lot more about the sequence. Originally, I liked the idea that, I don't know if you know this other um, Latin American writer, Julio Cortazar, Mm -hmm. but he wrote this book Hopscotch in which you can read it in two different orders from front to back as it's written or he'll give you an alternate set of uh, the order for the chapters. And I, I liked the idea that maybe I could do a different order every time we sat down to play, just how you might reorder a set every time you play. And um I found that that was challenging. You know, certain things really needed in order to have a certain kind of emotional arc or, you know, for my idea of the story to come across, I really did need to figure out what went in front of what and what what followed what. Sure. And, so I'm still kind of figuring that out. But um, so I can't – now I don't remember the co- – <laughs>
0: no, it's that we were just going on from a, a conversation. It's interesting to hear you say all this because having heard this context that you've just placed around this piece, I really want to hear it again because now I have a totally different set of conceptions to bring to it. Yeah. Which always leads me to that question about how much you tell an audience exactly. or how much you should tell an audience right. about what you're doing at any given right. night. How do you navigate that?
1: I think last night, because this is really a work in progress, and for me, the concert last night was about, wow, I have a new band, I'm trying a new approach to this music, I don't want to make a big deal about, and yet I wanted people to know where it came from. Sure. But I didn't want to tell people the names of the sections or put a lot of imagery in their mind. Um and I have to say, I've always been a big fan of not spelling out too much. I, I don't like things to be literal. I like ambiguity. I like multiple interpretations. Um, so I was happy not to talk about it too much. I think what I will do, I think once it sort of becomes more fully realized, mm. um, that I'll have program notes, and uh, but still encourage people to kind of navigate their own way through it. Sure. Um, because, or maybe even, I don't know, you know, if it makes more sense. What do you think? Does it make more sense to actually, how much do you want to know before a piece?
0: Yeah, and it, it can really vary. I mean, sometimes sometimes I find a lot more emotional depth if I understand where the composer is coming from. Right. But that also boxes me into experiencing what the composer wants me to experience, or at least it can. I guess right. it doesn't have to. Right. So, yeah, I, I definitely think it's a... It's a balancing act. Mm -hmm. And I mean, that's, that's the beauty in some cases of getting to see things multiple times where you go once, you know, kind of pure or raw and have the experience. And then you find out more and you have the experience again. Right. Like that's why I listen to records and I never read the notes that anybody sends me. And then I read the notes and listen again and say, Oh, I, I wouldn't have gotten this otherwise without these notes, but I was glad to have the experience once. Right. Just on my own.
1: And I often do that as a professor, um, that I'll have my students listen without necessarily Knowing anything or knowing very little sure. about the piece and ask them to ask them a bunch of sort of guiding or leading questions and then tell them more about it and have them listen again or watch the score as they listen or whatever. But I think that's really important to, to sort of connect with art on a very personal level first. And you know, it's true that sometimes once we know more about it, we can appreciate it more you know, and we get more out of each uh experience with it. But I, I think there's really something to be said for not putting too much in someone's mind. Especially I'm not I'm not a big fan of programmatic music. Right. You know, so and you know, I'm working on another project right now, um of in uh, solo piano music based on drawings by an artist, uh friend of mine who passed away last year, but um a uh, guy named Don Reich. And I did a few of the pieces at a solo concert in Amherst, uh, Massachusetts, a couple weeks ago. And I had been thinking all along, well, I'd like to do, perform the music in an installation of Don's work, or I'd like to figure out a way to project the imagery. But all I had with me there were my little scores, which are basically just the drawings, you know, a color Xerox of the drawings, which are, they're very colorful. And I was in a fairly large hall. People weren't, wasn't as intimate as last night. Um, but instead, all I did was explain the title of the drawing and showed, you know, just sort of show and tell, <laughs> this is what I'm playing now. And and it was funny because half the audience said afterwards, I wish we could have seen those projected. And other people said, I'm so glad they weren't projected because I wanted to just appreciate the music on its own terms yeah you know, without having because I think this stuff is so subjective, like and i'm I'm not trying to translate literally a drawing to music. It's just my impression of it, sure, you know, so it's my inspiration, and I'm happy to share my inspiration, but I don't think it's necessary that other people have that interpretation,
0: yeah, I've read a lot of ecrastic poetry, poetry based on visual art that uh without having ever seen. The pictures and then, you know, read the poems and then in later years have gone back and actually seen the artwork and thought, wow, that, that's not at all what I thought the yeah. artwork described in this poem was about. And in some cases, it, it certainly changes my perception. But I, I wonder, well, does that, is that, is it in fact moving me closer to the actual artist conception and closer to some correct perception of what the piece of art was supposed to be. Mm-hmm. You know, is it, if the poet actually wrote this poem or the musician composed this piece based on this piece of art, and my conception was something totally other, I mean, you get, I guess in some cases you get into this kind of right or wrong dialogue. Well, am I now closer to the artist's conception? And is that where I need to be? Right. Or do I need to be anywhere?
1: Right. In particular? Yeah. I'm I. i I'm a big advocate for, <laughs> I mean, I suppose every artist is different about what they intend for their work, but seems to me really... What I, the kind of artwork that I find really fulfilling and satisfying and aesthetically pleasing really allows me to have my own experience. Mm. And, and it can be helpful to understand where the artist is coming from or have that sort of, um, education about the piece. But I don't think in the end it changes. Yeah. So I, I don't, I, I can't subscribe to the right or wrong thing at all. I understand where you're coming from. It's an important question, but you know, I don't.
0: Yeah, I don't really subscribe yeah, to it either. Uh, yeah, I, wouldn't I just think, think so, it's a but question yeah, worth, yeah. maybe worth thinking about. But yeah, right, I, right. I tend to not ascribe right or wrong yeah, to art. Yeah. I want to ask you, um, to shift gears a little bit in, but kind of relating back to this idea of the musicians, uh, being equal contributors along with whatever the composer's vision is. I want to ask you about Trio M, um, uh, which re- recently released an album called The Guest House, which is fantastic. People Thank should check you. out. You're welcome. Uh, and can you talk a little bit about how that trio functions and how you guys each contribute to the, the final product?
1: Yeah. Well, for one thing, we really, we've always been very, um, Democratic and, and, uh, equal about everything. Like, we always make sure we have music by each of us in a set when we go to perform on a recording. We have the same number of pieces by each of us. You know, on this particular record, there are three, you know, co- with the addition of a solo, um, by Matt, a short drum solo, but three compositions by each of us. Um, we, we certainly, um, If the, if the person who brings it in, the composer has guidelines about how they want it played, we'll, you know, honor that and work with that. But I think we're all at the point now where, um, we feel free with each other. Once the music becomes something that we're all playing, we all feel free to do it our own way and find a way to do it. We have a lot of trust and I think we're very simpatico. Um, in terms of the kind of zones we like to get into. And, um, yeah, that band is so much fun. And it's I should
0: really have fun. mentioned that it's you and Mark Dresser and Matt Wilson. And it is so interesting listening, um, to your recordings, the three of you, because, like, for example, on the guest house, the, uh, the very first track, it covers I think it covers all three of you very nicely because it has this beautiful like second line drum thing which just kind of screams Matt and his you know kind of joyful approach to drums, but at the same time, what's on top of that or around that is so i think emblematic and personal to you and mark and it it really is this way to keep three distinct personalities intact but also to create this whole at the yeah, same time, yeah, it's really beautiful,
1: yeah, I think we're finding i we get a lot of pleasure from it. You know, and we have a lot of fun. I guess pleasure and fun are similar, but yeah. you know, it's really, and I think that we have, as I say, we have so much trust that once we kind of know the material, then it can open up in new ways, or we can start open and work our way into it, or we do a lot of this kind of segue from tune to tune on a live performance sure. where, you know, and the way we get into something may be completely different from night to night and, or where it goes and,
0: I'm I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you. No,
1: just very exciting.
0: How did the three of you get together and did you know right away that it was something special?
1: We did. um, But we – and we had – well, this is the story. Um, We'd all – Mark and I had both moved to California the same year, 2004, to start teaching jobs, Mark at UCSD and myself at UC Berkeley. And Mark and I had played as side people in various projects, and Matt and I had played as side people, and the two of them had played, but never in each other's bands and never all three of us together. And it was so funny because Mark and I used to live across Prospect Park from each other <laughs> for many years. Then we hardly played, always had a lot of respect for each other and and so on, but didn't play. Then Mark's 500 miles south of me in San Diego – And he calls me up and he said, Myra, we got (laughs) to (laughs) play because who else is in California that we really know and want to play with? So we started a duo and then we said, well, we'd love to have a trio and who would be a good drummer? Because Mark and I share both this kind of love for textural, sound-oriented, sort of more new music kind of approach to improvisation or experimental practices approach, as well as loving to groove in different ways and we thought, who would be a great drummer for that? And we both thought of Matt, and we asked him to do a gig. We did our first gig at a very nice venue in La Jolla called the Athenaeum, run by Dan Atkinson. It's an old library, and it's a very uh intimate space, but quite a bit bigger than the jazz gallery. But a very lovely, you just play acoustically, great piano, lovely wooden room, and um, rugs and chairs. And-
0: Are there still books?
1: Lots of books all around and lots of artwork, and it's a beautiful, really beautiful um, venue.
0: Well, if moving into where we are right now doesn't work out, then maybe I'll have to relocate to the F&AM. Exactly.
1: Well, you can't beat the weather in the either, I'm telling you. (laughs)
0: That's true.
1: Anyway, so we played there for our first gig. We got together. Each of us brought a few tunes. I think we rehearsed and maybe did an open rehearsal at UCSD that afternoon, and we played the gig, and it was just fantastic. And that was it. We knew we had something really special. We went out for a drink after the gig and started brainstorming the next gig. And little by little, we got it together.
0: And what did you play on that first show in terms of the repertoire?
1: Let's see. We must have played uh, some of the music from um Big Picture. At that point, I think we had that peace of mind, Secrets to Tell You. We had For Bradford uh, by Mark Dresser. We had... um um, naive Art by Matt, and you know a few of the other things. I, you know, along the way we tried some things that maybe didn't stay in the book. Sure. But um, those three things for sure, and I don't remember what else. Um, but but it just totally, just totally clicked. It was so much fun that you know we've been everyone. We're all super busy and live fairly far apart, but everybody's really committed to keeping it together. And we just did a our CD release gig. Um, our CD released gigs in California uh, in the beginning of February, and we played. Went back; the first night was at the Athenaeum. Oh, that's great! And it was a great wow to see how far we'd come as a band was also really fun.
0: Are there pieces that you that uh, the three of you bring in that turn out not to work in that in that setting sometimes?
1: I'm trying to think. Not so much. I mean, we've tried things along the way that we did for whatever reason didn't didn't feel like, it was more the composer's call. This, maybe this isn't quite right for this band. Sure. But, um, but. We're pretty – I think now at this point we have a sense of what's right for the band. So yeah. that happens less and less. We bring in things that we've either written specifically now for the trio or things we've written for other contexts that we know will sound good in that context.
0: Yeah. Does that tend to be the case for you that you're writing knowing who's going to eventually perform the music?
1: Well, for the most part, it's certainly that was my experience with The Same River Twice. Um, and it was my experience with Bee Bread, which I've had mm-hmm. together for many years now. Um this Happy Whistlings, the Snowy Eager project, was a little bit different in that I wrote the music and then thought, who would be some interesting people to play with? And it, that really took me a while to find the right personalities. Yeah.
0: And it sounds like this was music much less uh, requiring particular instrumentation. Is that Right, exactly. Say,
1: yeah. So I'm looking for musical personalities that gel well together. Sure. Um, but it can be any number of instruments. You know, it was... Um, alto saxophone guitar and drums the first time the next time was trumpet uh guitar and bass and and myself so you know and then I realized that I really want drums and bass and and guitar and and trumpet were still still really what I was hearing but finding the right um Constellation of players, where all the personalities really hooked up,
0: was it your uh, decision to ask Stomu to play acoustic bass guitar mm-hmm. in this band mm-hmm. it's so that instrument is so underused in my opinion it 's just so yeah. gorgeous. Yeah. Why did you want that particular? Tonality? I just
1: like the sound, and for one thing, you know being a pianist i 'm not a huge fan of electric instruments. I mean playing with great musicians makes a huge difference, and for many years, Stomu played with me playing electric. Um, bass guitar and, um, Brandon Ross early on in be bred switched off between acoustic and electric. But I realized in the end that, um, I don't like to have to over amplify the piano. I don't sure. like the sound. I like to play acoustically and I just like that warmth. I think it's just a nicer blend with piano and harmonium to have non-electric instruments. So I've, you know, whenever I can, this is not an easy instrument to travel with. You know, it's, and it's expensive to cart instruments around now. So it's not always possible for Stowe to play it, but whenever he can, he does.
0: Yeah. Uh, are there other projects that you're involved in these days that you wanted to mention?
1: I think those are sort of the main things that I'm preoccupied by. I'm really focused on getting a solo record out this year, or at least recorded. Maybe not released, but recorded. So I'm working hard on that music. And um, now this new Galeano project, um, feeling really has some momentum. And... Um, Trio m Of course, we've got a lot of exciting. Um, we're doing some touring this year. That's going to be really fun. It looks like we're going to go to Australia in the fall. Oh, fantastic! Never been down there, and um, I have uh, just been invited to participate in a more of a educational project in Tanzania with a colleague of mine, who's and good friend, who teaches at the Yale Drama School. And um, last year she went with um, some. She took some Yale students with her to Tanzania to work on social theater in a community and um, they've decided they'd like to um, put more uh, emphasis on the music this year and they've asked me to participate and that'll be a really different thing for me. What else? I I have an ongoing duet with Ben Goldberg now and um, um, which is a lot of fun and I'm also playing in one of his projects that's coming up but really I think those are the main things and And I'm quite content, I think, to narrow my focus a little bit. Mm. I've noticed um, being a full-time professor and doing maybe more side-person work than I ever have right now and being on the road a lot that I really kind of need to focus in on just two or three really important things. So um, that's what I feel like I'm trying to do now. And really... I don't know, I'm just at a point where I'm really wanting to spend more time on trying new approaches to composing and develop some new ways of playing the piano and some new technical facility and that kind of stuff. And So I, I'm kind of going, scaling back and going deeper.
0: Yeah, it's easy to forget as you're talking about all the musical things that you're involved in that you also are a full-time professor. Yeah. At Berkeley. Yeah. And uh, that I mean it sounds like uh, your workload as a musician alone sounds like it would be enough for most people.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm really. You know, and I have to say like this was a big push to get that concert done last night. Um, but I'm so gratified. I'm so happy that I made the effort, but you know, I'm I'm here. It's Sunday now and I've got some work today and a little bit of meetings and stuff tomorrow and then i am been s- teaching all day tuesday and wednesday so and i'm constant it's been like this for weeks now yeah so it's i have to you know also make time to go hike up in the berkeley hills and that sure. kind of thing
0: well it's been a pleasure to have you on the show again it was so exciting to see the music last night and my guest is myra melford i thank you for your time thanks, thanks a lot.
1: jason i really enjoyed it
0: That's music from Myra Melford with Trio M featuring Mark Dresser and Matt Wilson. Great to have Myra on the show again. You can go in the archives of the jazz session, which, you know, sounds difficult, but it's very easy. Just go to the jazz and along the left-hand side there's an alphabetical list of everyone who's ever been on the show, and you can find Martha you can find Martha's last appearance. And then when you're done listening to that, you can listen to Myra's last appearance, which is even more fascinating because it exists. Myra Melford's previous appearance on the show. Uh, The outro is every bit as incoherent as the intro was, (laughs) and I really have no excuse. It's a gorgeous, sunny day. I've just taken a walk, had some ramen in Brooklyn. I'm feeling great. Just for some reason, I cannot string sentences together. So that's that. Uh, please do get out there if you would. Oh, you know, I don't think I said this at the beginning of the show. Please become a member. The show really needs some more members. It's cheap. It's simple. It's fast. Just go to thejazzsession dot com slash join, and for as little as ten bucks a month, you, you can become a member. And I just can't, I can't possibly stress to you how important your funding is for the continued survival of the host of this show. So please do become a member. And then get out there and support live jazz whenever and wherever you can. And come back next time for another conversation about jazz on the Jazz Session.
1: Everybody. Bye. 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 Bye.